Yes, that's good. I'm going to need some help this morning. I'm going downhill on the energy, so I need y'all to help lift me back up. Sound good? Come on, we're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to help me out or we're going to be in trouble. So my name's Sam. appreciate you in advance for helping out. Um, So we are currently in the book of James. It's time to exercise your faith. So we're going to be in James chapter 4 today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, pull those out and, and get there. So before we jump in, let's do our memory verse, shall we? So it's up on the screen. We're going to read this together. So we all ready? Deep breaths, absolutely. So let's read this together. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is the first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So when I was six years old, I'm just going to jump in right with a a story, a really famous movie came out, all right? I'm going to need you movie buffs to tell me what movie it was. 1997, famous movie. Anybody have any ideas what it was called? First Gathering got it right. Just throwing that out there. Titanic, did I hear that? Yes, Titanic. How many of you were around when Titanic came out? Yes, okay. So I was very young, but if you were around in 97, you remember there was this immense hype about Titanic. Okay, and this was back in 97, so it was before Facebook, MySpace, and Zanga even. So some old social media platforms. So I don't remember how we communicated, honestly, if we called each other on the landline. But 97 was a big deal for this movie, Titanic. And if you aren't familiar with Titanic, let me give you some history on why it was a big deal. This movie took over $2.28 billion in 1997. That's a lot of money in 2023 money, let alone 1997 money. So Titanic was this first film to ever reach the $1 billion mark, let alone $2 billion. And to this day, Titanic is the third highest grossing box office movie ever produced, just behind Avatar and Avengers Endgame. Some good movies, right? So that's your, your holy trio of big movies. So if you take, if you calculate inflation of the cost of the dollar in 1997 to, to 2007 when Avatar came out, this, this is the most profitable movie of all time. So, like I said, when Titanic came out, I was in first grade. I'm sorry, that ages me a little bit. You can laugh, it's okay. And I remember my parents, they bought the VHS set, and it came beautifully wrapped in this cellophane, and this one was different because there were two VHSs in it. Do you remember that? My tiny brain couldn't imagine, so you have to get off the couch, go to the VCR player, eject it, and then put the new cartridge in to resume your movie. That was world-changing for 97, right? Man, and I remember they bought it from the store, and it was wrapped in cellophane. You know, there was all this hype, and it was finally in our home, and I asked if I could watch it, and my parents said, no. (laughs) Right? Because there's some risque parts in that movie, right? So I wasn't allowed to watch it. And I didn't know why at the time, but I remember my sister and I, we idolized that movie. Because when your parents tell you you can't watch something, what does that make you want to do? Yes, we got some young kiddos in the house. That makes you want to watch it even more. So I dreamed of watching this forbidden movie, and I remember the day finally came. I was of age, right? So we got the popcorn, the snacks, and my parents said, we're watching it with you, and we're fast-forwarding a part and we know what part that is, right? So I remember being so disappointed in that movie because it didn't live up to the hype that was going on 
around it. You know, I just didn't get it. I didn't get the big deal. There was no action, right? There was romance, which I thought was still gross, right? I didn't get it, right? I'll be honest. So looking back on the movie Titanic and the story of the Titanic, now that I'm older, it finally hit me why Titanic was such a popular movie. So the movie Titanic, it was about this giant ship, right? But it showcased the greatness of human ambition, right? It was early in the Industrial Revolution, so the Titanic herself was a symbol of human greatness. Look at what we've accomplished. Grand, like world-class dining, orchestra, dance floors, Olympic-sized swimming pools, all on a boat. And it was the largest moving object on the earth at that time. It was the leading edge of technology. It was inspiring awe and wonder to all all who saw her. And as we know, the engineers, the builders, the crew assured that this ship was completely unsinkable, right? But the story goes on. On the morning of April 15th, 1912, the ship hit an iceberg, and two hours later, the ship was underneath the water, and about 1,500 people perished. The once-claimed unsinkable ship is now at the bottom of the ocean. So I'm sorry if I ruined the movie Titanic for you, but if you know the history of this tragedy, it it didn't have to be so tragic after all. See, the ship only had enough lifeboats for about one-third of the capacity of the people on the ship. And also, the morning of the trip, the crew canceled emergency exercises that would have helped them prepare for the deployment of the lifeboats they did, did have because we know that lifeboats were deployed only some of them were partly full, right? The Titanic was not destroyed by an iceberg alone. It was destroyed by a human state of mind, an unseen force that would ultimately lead to the destruction and downfall claiming the lives of its many victims. So you're like, Sam, tell me what this unforeseen forces that took out the Titanic, and I'll tell you, human arrogance in an iceberg sunk the Titanic. Those two things. Somewhere along the line, human ambition, which is a great thing, it's a God-given thing, transitioned to human arrogance. We see it with Titanic. Turns into a very bad thing. I heard this quote about the Titanic, and I wanted to put it up here so this can soak in. The Titanic is remembered as not just a symbol of human ambition, but of human arrogance, an ironic tale of misplaced confidence in human beings and their force of their own will. Think about that. To put it another way, Sam's words, the hope of humanity in the hands of humans is arrogance. That's what we're going to be talking about today. These engineers brag, they said, come see the glorious Titanic, the unsinkable ship, able to plow through icebergs with ease, right? Look at the tragedy of human arrogance. So looking back, this is why Titanic was a powerful movie. It displayed this marvel engineering paired with human arrogance, right? A tragedy was experienced because human arrogance and misplaced confidence in humanity. So this is what we're talking about. Are we ready? Ooh, it's going to be another deep one. Um, the book of James is fantastic because it seems like when, you, when you're down on the ground, it kicks you again, right? It's a good thing, right? It's called exercising your faith. Um, so this is what we're talking about. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to stand up together, and we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So now's a good time to stretch. Um, if you're able to stand, if not, that's all right. 
Um, but we're honoring God's word this morning. So I'm going to read this out loud. Y'all can follow along. Okay, entitled, Boasting About Tomorrow. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Church, I want to, as we continue standing, I want to pray over this text today, invite the Spirit um, to speak to you all and to myself this morning. So let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this short book of James. God, I want to pray over this scripture this morning, God. Please use me uh, to communicate clearly. God, we want to hear your voice this morning, God. So fill me with your spirit. Fill me with energy this morning um, to get through uh, where you want to lead us, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Fantastic. Thank you. So as you are sitting down, how many of y'all are planners? Like you like to plan ahead. Like if it's within a week, you freak out. Okay, good. Now, where am I not planners at? Oh my gosh, it's everybody's spouse. Okay, all right, let's see the planners. Planners, non-planners. Oh my gosh, we, I should write a book. <laughs> Golly. Okay, that, that's just good humor right there. I wasn't planning on that. So I'm the kind of person, I am not the planner, and Chelsea's the planner, okay? So we're leaving for vacation. It's 10 at night. I forgot we're going on the trip. I haven't even packed yet. I still need deodorant at the store, right? It's that bad. Okay, and I'm so bad to the point I have a new motto. If I forget it, I'll buy it. Okay, anybody else like that? I have more belts I've bought at Walmart in various states. Every belt I own is from a different Walmart. So the reality is some of us plan ahead. Some of us don't plan very much at all, but all of us do plan, right? To some extent, we all do plan for tomorrow. So this morning, we're going to talk about, as Christ followers, what does it look like? What should we be doing as we plan our future? So I'm going to tell you one more story, okay? Uh, last weekend, I was up in northern Michigan for some rally races. And what they do is there's so many state parks in Michigan, they close down these roads, and they have cars race from point A to point B on them, okay? It's horrifying, because in Michigan, there's like knee-deep snow, and the roads are icy, and these people are driving in in street-legal cars, because you have to drive them to the next stage. So I met uh, a guy up there, and his name was Dan, and his team was from Philadelphia. And I could tell right away Dan was new to this, okay? Because Dan had a car, it was completely bone stock. Like, just like the car I drove up there, it was one year newer, but all it had was a roll cage and all the safety requirements, but he didn't have the fancy rally suspension, rally tires, anything, stock rims and everything. So I was like, I'm going to go talk to that guy because he is nuts, right? He's racing against Honda, all these factory teams where their cars, their t rims and tires cost more than Dan's whole car. So I went over and I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, this is my first race. You know, our goal for the week is to just finish because we're going to drive. This is one of the toughest ARA, Ra American Rally Association stages like in the whole season. And we, our goal is just to show up and finish it. So right off the bat, we're like, Dan's a super cool dude, right? He's a super humble guy. He's got good ambitions. So it, it was really neat. So we're like, all right, we're rooting for Dan this weekend, right? Do it for Dan, right? So we were in the woods cheering for Dan. And throughout the weekend, 
he actually crawled his way up to a podium spot, which is crazy. You've got cars there, 60 to $250,000, factory team, factory supported. So we'd see him go by and we'd give him the thumbs up and he'd wave because he's like, we're doing good. We haven't crashed and hit a tree yet. Like things were going as planned. He, and they were going better than planned because you could see him smiling. He goes, if I keep a clean race, I've got three more stages, I could end up on a podium finish, which is a huge honor. So on the last stage, stage 14, um, Dan still had an opportunity at a podium finish. And if he had a clean stage, if he kept it in between the trees, right? He had 14 miles of ice-covered Michigan roads stood between Dan and a podium finish at the ARA opener. And heartbreakingly enough, literally the first left-hand corner of the stage, Dan and his co-driver went off the road, hit a group of trees, caused significant damage to the right side of the car, bending a control arm, tearing up off like the whole right side of the bumper, broke the taillight. Car was pretty smashed. Come see me afterwards. I got a video I can show you if, you, if this interests you, because he had a GoPro and you can see him crash and all this, it was scary. They were in, able to, to get the car back on the road. They fought back some time, but they were just shy and they lost their podium finish. What a heartbreaking story, right? Yes. How many of you guys have had a story like that? Yes, I have. You feel so helpless in those moments. But what's really cool is Dan, he did set out and finish what he accomplished. But sometimes we make plans and our plans go about how we expected. Sometimes we make plans and they go way worse than expected. Seems like those happen a lot. Sometimes we make plans and things go even way better than we expected. So I wanted us to think about that, the plans we make, what we do every day, and how as Christ followers we're supposed to plan ahead. So let's jump into the text um, and look at verse 13. Oh, we already read that out loud together. So verse 13 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. All right, so let's see what James has to say. James is addressing some merchants, okay? And these merchants are saying, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such such a town. We're going to spend a year here. We're going to trade, you know, skins, whatever, food. Um, We're going to go here. We're going to set up shop. We're going to make money. It's going to happen. We've got a plan. We've done it a thousand times. We're businessmen. We're confident. Let's make some moolah. Let's do it, right? That's what we're seeing here. Now, and if you take this verse, just verse 13, out of context and don't look at anything that comes after it, it sounds like a pretty good plan, right? It's like you got two entrepreneurs, like they're ready to go, they need some money to continue their, their trip, but I, I want to address some tension. So I want to look at Proverbs 30, 24 through 28. Um, Solomon, one of the most wise people who ever lived, he talks about planning a little bit, okay? Let's see what he says about planning. Four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise, okay? The ants are not strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer, okay? Right, so you can have food for the winter, right? What else do we have? The rock, high, I don't know how, hyraxes, I think that's like a rock badger, okay? They're they are not mighty people, yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, all of them go out in ranks, this one's funny. The lizard you may grasp with the hands, yet is in the king's palace. That's cool, right? So Solomon, he's calling these ants wise for preparing their meals in the summer. These conies or hyraxes, these rock badgers, he calls them feeble, lacking strength, 
but wise for preparing ahead and building in the rocks. So we see a wise man making a statement about preparing and how it's a good thing, it's a smart thing. So plans can be a good thing, but plans mixed with pride, arrogance, and too much human ambition can be a bad thing. You with me so far? Okay, very good. So, but let's look at what James says next um, in verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then gone, then vanishes. Poof. He says, why do, you, why do you say this? Why are you so confident in what tomorrow will bring? Now, now time, pause out. Like, pause out. Time out. Pause. Whew. I've almost used all my words for the day. <laughs> I'm fairly certain these merchants knew they couldn't predict what tomorrow would bring. Right? But I think what James is giving here is more of a reminder. Okay? These people needed to be reminded because they were living with an inappropriate measure of confidence in their own ability, which is the definition of arrogance. Okay? These merchants were living with an inappropriate measure of confidence in their own ability because they said, here's what we're going to do and it's going to happen. That's a bold statement. That is what I would call an arrogant statement. This is why so many people died on the Titanic. It wasn't just because of the iceberg. It was because of the arrogance and the human ambition. Just plow the iceberg. It'll be okay. Ship's unsinkable. It'll be okay. Let's cancel our safety classes for the morning. It ain't sinking. <clears throat> My new friend Dan, the rally racer, was a good example for this. He was ambitious but had an appropriate level of confidence in himself. He didn't say, I'm going to win the whole dang thing, did he? He said, I'm going to try to finish it because I think I can barely do that. And he was pleasantly surprised. He wasn't arrogant. So let's take a closer look and unpack this a little more. Um, what we see, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about plans a little bit because not all planning ahead is bad, okay? But what we're seeing is these people described more than their plans. They described their plan of attack, right? But they were overly confident. They were arrogant. They assumed it was going to happen. We're going to make money. And they wanted to make it happen by the force of human will. And that, church, is a problem, okay? Because they're living a life of arrogance with an inappropriate measure of confidence in their own ability. Because when you claim you know the outcome of the future, you're honestly deceiving yourself because there's only one person that knows what's going to happen tomorrow, and that person is God. Amen? Amen. When you claim with certainty the plans of tomorrow, you are beginning to play little g God in your life. Now, church, I want you to hear, like, scheduling business meetings are not bad. Scheduling lunch tomorrow isn't a bad thing. Human ambition, human drive can be a good thing. But if you're planning leads to an inappropriate measure of confidence in your ability, you begin to live arrogantly, you begin to shut God out of your life. When you plow ahead, when you're overconfident in your plans, you're telling God, I got this, you take the back seat. When you shut God out of your life, your future decisions, your plans, you're walking in disobedience. I'll describe this. I call this the sin of sidestepping God. <clears throat> I'm going to give us an example. This hits home for me. Okay, this makes me feel super guilty. 
when I read this example, but I wanted to draw some illustration for all of us. So maybe you're here today and you're starting to think it's time for a job change, okay? I mean, all of us have been there. It's time for a change, okay? Maybe your job isn't what it used to or you don't like it as much or a new boss came in, things got harder, you're having to work later, whatever's going on, okay? So using this example, typically when you're a responsible adult, you don't like your job, you start to look for a new job, right? You keep working your old job, but when you get home at night, you get on Indeed, you update your resume, you do all that, you find what you want to make, what you want to get paid, blah, 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 blah. You call them, you schedule something with the HR office, then you come get an interview, right? You go through these steps, they end up giving you an offer, you take it, you quit your other job, and you start your new job. How many have a story like that? Okay, that's kind of like the American thing, right? Like, that, that's just common for us. Maybe it wasn't a job transition. Maybe it was buying a house or, or moving to a different city. But let me ask you, in these big decisions, in this process of the job search, of moving, getting a new job, where was God in that process? Maybe I should ask, was God in that process? If so, at what point did you ask God into that process? Because what I see in my own life, okay, I'm not trying to be mean, this applies to me too. So, so, so many times we plow through life's decisions with arrogance, with an overconfidence in our own abilities, with selfish ambition. And most of the time, this is me speaking, I make my decisions on what makes me the most comfortable, right? I'm gonna quit this job because I don't like it and I'm gonna get a job I do like, okay? We get confident that we're making the right decision and we're selfishly, we're arrogantly plowing through life's decision. But here's where it gets really scary if you're a Christ follower. What if God had you at that job, you just quit for a reason? Ooh, right? Because you just walked out of obedience into disobedience. Have you ever thought about that in your big decisions you make every day? What if that job is where God wanted you? What if you had a purpose in his plan at that job, but you just quit that job because it was too hard or you didn't like it or it made you sad? Each one of us, we all have a purpose in God's unfolding story. And the scary thing is we all have free will so we can choose to write ourselves out of God's plan, which is crazy to think about. We need to stop making big decisions without God church. That's what we need to do. Every planning, every big decision we make, God should come first. You know, I really need a new job. Well, have you talked to God about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you said, God, is this where you want me? Because God, if you want me to stay at this job to do your will, I will stay. That is radical, church. God should come first in your job any big transition, any plan, college degree, you know, moving. Tim's going to talk about this more next year, even with your dang finances. It's like, I got, I, I've got this surplus of money. Should I invest it? Should I give it, God? What do you want me to do with what you've given me? I'm not going to steal Tim's talk for next week. We need to go to God. That's the tension we're talking about. And this is about as simple as I can make it. Okay? God's plan needs to be greater than 
my plan. That's as simple as we can make it. When you're making a decision, when you're planning ahead, is this plan fulfilling God's plan or my plan? You need to look at it through that lens. When you're getting ready to make a big decision, you need to say, is this my plan or is this God's plan? Because more often than not, it's gonna be your plan to make you more comfortable, right? Take the time, slow down, go to God, prayer, petition, and fasting. Ask him, is this the will for my life? Is this what you will of me, Father? So church, are you in the will of God or are you pursuing your own will in arrogance? So I've got good news. That's the first part of verse 14. That's the heavy stuff, right? So we can take a deep breath. James is an awesome book, right? It's so much good stuff. So we'll have some more fun. So that's the first half of 14. Um, Let's see the second half. Okay. So it says, Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. I've got some mist here. Do you guys want to see what your life's like? Oh, that's a squirt. (laughs) Sorry. Ta-da. You want to see your life again? Wasn't that amazing? Yes. Flattering. (laughs) Right? Thanks, James. It's like, that's my life right there. We could have had any example. A nice, big, strong tree with roots that can penetrate through concrete that lives and eventually dies. But no, we get compared to mist because mist is fragile from beginning to end. Mist isn't flattering. Nobody's afraid of mist. But James compares us to mist because we need to understand our relative insignificance compared to God's plan for our lives. See, when he uses the example of mist, it shows how temporary our plans are. Our life's goals, our ambitions, our plans are a mist compared to what God has in store for us. I have another fill in the blank. Because like mist, our earthly plans and ambitions are temporary and God's plans are eternal. The properties of mist, mist is fragile. It's super weak. You know what the worst part about putting on cologne is the mist. It's not manly, right? There's nothing intimidating about it. There's no football team called the Alabama Crimson Mist, right? It's the Crimson Tide. I got in trouble for saying that first gathering, and I said I wouldn't say it again, but I did, right? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. So mist is made up of super small drops of water, so weightless that they are suspended in the air. So it's so fitting that James compares our life to a mist and not something different. Another reality about mist is it's also forgotten when it's gone, right? Our plans, our temporary earthly plans will be gone. When it's gone, when it's, it's gone, nothing remains. Just like every great person, famous person to ever live, eventually, like mist, they will be gone, them and their plans. Richer, poor, famous or not, eventually, it'll be gone. 
like mist, eventually after enough time, forgotten. So if we are truly like mist here today, then gone tomorrow, I think we need to be a little bit more careful on, on how we choose to plan our lives. Because our plans by themselves are temporary. But God's plans are eternal. So that leads us to verses 15 through 17 as we near the end of our time together and go into communion. Okay, so we see an instead. This is what we're called to do. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, you know, we've heard the the term Lord willing, we will live and do this or that. It is, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, as such boasting is evil. Do verse 17. Oh, it's not up there. So verse 17 is, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, it is a sin for them. Okay, so that's, that's the last bit. Sorry about that. So these verses are going to be our application section for this morning because we want to focus on if it's the Lord's will or Lord willing. The humility aspect, choosing to live with humility in alignment with God's plan for our life, fighting against arrogant schemes, pushing our own plans, excluding God from our life. Church, have you ever noticed some of the most boastful and arrogant people we see are often on TV? Yeah? What about sports figures or action sports stars? Uh, Muhammad Ali is one that comes to my mind. He had a statement once that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He said, if you ever dream about beating me, you better wake up and apologize. Whoa, right? That's a statement in itself. That's, in my opinion, that's a pretty arrogant statement. But if you look at Muhammad Ali, he could back up what he said, right? He was at, he was the apex predator in the ring. He was top tier. If anyone had the right to dish it out, he could, right? Huge pride issue. So with this, you know what I secretly love? I love it when prideful people get an instant dose of humility. Does anybody else like that? I have a funny video we'll watch here. Um, Sean's going to throw it up. These are some famous athletes that are getting this dose of humility. So watch this. But this is the final lap, so Vicky Golden is going to have to really turn it on. Rutledge coming through. Will she be able to hold this and take the gold medal in Los Angeles? Whoa! No! no! Poked her fist! Oh, she thought she was going to win it, but she opened the door, went down, and Vicky Golden is going to take gold in Los Angeles over Rutledge. Including Hakeem, who has come in the sixth. Orton going deep. He's got Watkins, and buckle up. There he goes. And Hakeem brings him down. He just got in there. Beat the freeze. They give the... Uh contested a head start and then watch this guy in the freeze suit this is the greatest thing i've ever seen watch this folks i mean the guy had what a 200 foot head start at least look at this guy go this guy is beautiful <laughs> look at this guy, the guy, yeah, the guy thought he, he thought he was gonna win exactly <laughs> oh that's where he belongs right in the dirt what a heartbreaker so that motocross rider, she lost the gold medal for a fist pump in the air, right? Then that football player, they were what? Like on the 10 or 15 yard line, 
and he was going to showboat just shy of a touchdown, right? And then that man, he might have been able to beat the freeze, but what was he doing? He was boasting, I'm going to win it. So these people were all celebrating too early. Their race was not over, and they were boasting about what they were going to do, and they got some humble pie, right? But I think there's something we can learn from these athletes, because we do the same stinking thing when we boast in our future. When we celebrate too early, we don't know what's going to come tomorrow. We don't know the humility that might be waiting for us in the morning. You see, all those famous athletes, they have four things in common, okay? And if you meet a prideful person, they sometimes have all four, but these four things are kind of like the perfect recipe to live an arrogant and prideful life. Number one is fame. I'm not saying all famous people are arrogant, okay? I'm just saying, like, if left unchecked, these four things, okay, you guys get where I'm going? Okay, I don't want to paint with that broad of a brush. So number one, fame, okay? Number two is success, skill, and wealth. That's Sam's opinion. If, if left unchecked, those four things are going to lead to an arrogant lifestyle. Tim's going to talk more about wealth next week. But unfortunately, these sports superstars, they have all four, right? And the tricky thing about arrogance is we don't typically see it in ourselves unless somebody else calls us out on it, right? How many of you guys know somebody who's arrogant, right? Yes. Are they pleasant people to hang out with? No, no, not typically. But you know an arrogant person when you see one. And this is why James 4 is important because we need to constantly remind ourselves that our plan is less than God's plan. We, we don't need to boast in ourselves to boast in tomorrow, the look at me, look at where I'm going, because oftentimes it's humility pie, right? We are all guilty of boasting in our own arrogant schemes. So church, I want to give us some tools about how we can fight against living an arrogant lifestyle, because all of us need to address some things in our lives. So I want to give you some tools um, about how we can live humbly so we can walk in step with the desires of God, our creator, rather than our own human fleshy desires. So how do we live humbly? Okay, so I'm going to give you three things. These are Sam's opinions. Okay, I think number one, we need to remember our weakness. If you want to walk humbly with God, you need to remember you're not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> right? When you think of proud people, the words broken or weakness typically don't come to mind because you look at a baseball starting pitcher for the MLB. They can throw sometimes over 100 miles an hour with throw a baseball in a space this big, right? Sometimes these pitchers will throw perfect games, no hitters. So when you think of a baseball starting pitcher for the MLB in his prime, you don't typically think weak do you? You think strong. But let me tell you, those are not perfect people, right? They have weaknesses. So remembering, even when you are super skilled, when you are very wealthy, what, whatever your situation, you are broken. And we need to remember this. If we're ever going to walk humbly with God, we need to remember our weaknesses, our brokenness. This reminds us we're human, which sometimes we need to deflate our egos a little bit. This is a good tool to, to do that. First Corinthians um, chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. 
says this. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot should not say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to to the body. That would make it not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chooses. If it were all a single member, where would be the body? As there are many parts, yet one body. So we see this is Paul's explanation of how the church body interacts and becomes a body. In the church, we see that no one person is everything. All right? So why do we think that in our day-to-day lives, we are everything? We are the solution to the problem. We have no weaknesses. I'm not afraid. Muhammad Ali had a weakness. He probably wasn't going to stand there and admit it. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, but nobody is everything. That's true in the church, outside of the church. Everybody is broken. Everybody has weakness. And when you believe this and when you live this, this is a huge fight against an arrogant lifestyle church. If you're going to do one thing today, it would be this. Remember, you are not all that. You are broken. You are sinful. You are not perfect. Okay, so number two, Sam's opinion, fight against arrogance. Be curious. Children are just so curious creatures. Like, it's so easy to blow a child's mind, right? I can't wait till I can take my daughter to the zoo for the first time and she sees a giraffe and she looks at it, right? There are those moments, if you have kids, where you have blown their mind. (laughs) And it is awesome, right? But curiosity in itself is a weapon against pride in living a life of arrogance because our culture today, when we grow up, it seems our society just, it just drills the curiosity out of us because we have an answer for that. We got an answer for why the sky's blue. You know, we know this, we know that. A knowledge-driven culture. We see King David in Psalm 3, verses 8. King David says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man you care for? King David is looking up the sky and his mind is blown. He's blown away at the majesty and the greatness, the size of God who created him and humanity. So I'm going to ask you, when is that, when, when did you have that last moment? where God blew your mind. Are you reminding yourself daily of the greatness of God? Because church, let me tell you, it's gonna, it's gonna be hard to leave God out of your plans if you see his greatness in front of you every day. Curiosity is a weapon against pride and arrogance. Curiosity leads to humility. Have you ever been around somebody that knows it all? Yep. Again, not fun people to be around. I have. They're, they're unpleasant. Most of the time, I run into my know-it-alls on Facebook, right? Facebook's where I get all my free legal advice, uh, <laughs> health advice, political advice. If you want great political advice, just, lo- just sign up for Facebook. That's a joke, church. That's a joke. <laughs> we live in an age of knowledge, and I was curious to see what you could learn how to do for free YouTube videos. There's a guy on there claiming, like, there's a video of like open heart surgery. You can watch step by step, okay? Crazy. So let me ask you, 
if you watch that open heart surgery video, do you think you're a surgeon now? No, but let me tell you, I run into people all the time that think they are. They know how to do a surgery, so therefore they are a heart surgeon. Church, where has our curiosity gone? You're not a dang heart surgeon. You just watched a YouTube video. I'm not a mechanic. I just watch car videos to how to fix it, right? Where is that desire to learn gone? Because our world, it needs more people that are curious. God calls us to be curious like a child. Because if you're curious and you say, wow, how does that work? God, that just... That's amazing. It's going to be so hard to leave God out of your plans when your mind is being blown daily by God. So as, as we finish up, one more point before communion. We need to learn and acknowledge others and their talents. This is another hard one to do because in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, it says, and let, us not consider, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, capital D, um, drawing near. So if you spot and encourage the strengths of others, this is another weapon against pride and arrogance because when you acknowledge others and their talents, you are lifting them up, right? It's different than arrogance of pushing others down. This one's hard for me, I'll be honest. Out of the three, this is the hardest for me. Because what happens is we begin to feel threatened by people that are better than us because you will meet somebody smarter, more attractive, fill in the blank. It's going to happen. There's a three-year-old on the internet that plays drums better than me. It hurts, but it's true, (laughs) right? So we need to learn and acknowledge others in their talents. And that's how we fight against arrogance, church, those three. So to review so far, we did it. We did James 4, 13 through 17, and we've learned that human ambition, it it can be a good thing, a God-honoring thing, but if the ambition turns to arrogance, it becomes a bad thing. We learned that arrogance is is an inappropriate level of confidence in your own ability. So I challenge you as we move into communion, examine what level of confidence do you have in your plans? We also learned when you shut out God of your plans, you begin to walk in disobedience. We're reminded that his plans are greater than our plans. We learned that our plans are temporary. God's plans are eternal. And finally, we have these three tools to fight against an arrogant lifestyle. So church, as we approach communion, remember what we talked about today. Look at your notes. Are you leaving God out of your plans Are you consulting him with these big life decisions? Are you asking him for clarity in your life? Or are you living in arrogance, claiming you know what tomorrow holds and you're just saying, God, take the back seat. I've got this. So church, that's all we have time for today. I love James. I love that this small book, it just kind of kicks you in the rear, right? There's so much application here. This book, will, it, it's not afraid to show you your shortcomings. So let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Pastor Jim's going to come up and lead us through communion, but let's, let's pray um, as we close. So, God, thank you for this little book of James and the application that, that you brought to us today, God. Thank you for being patient with each and every one of us and 
even, even when we put our plans before you. God, it's our desire today to begin to cast off this arrogant lifestyle, to, to put our plans at your feet, God, and to live in accordance with, with your great will, God. We want to partner with you in what you're doing. We want to have eternal significance, God. We want to be your hands and feet. So God, please forgive us for our disobedience. Father, please convict us this morning with your spirit. We want to be written into your unfolding story, God, so fill us with your spirit, God. We want more of you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins to pave that way for eternity with you. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.